You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, good morning, Real Life. This is a a little bit surreal to me. I've been thinking all week long, how does a relational disciple-making church operate in this environment? And boy, things have changed over the last week. Um, a lot of things have changed. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a hugger. You guys, many folks that have come in have received hugs. And I'm going to give you my best virtual hug or handshake uh, because that's just part of my DNA. That's just who I am. This is why this is difficult for me because I don't want to be separated from... Uh, the people that God has asked me to to shepherd and and to and to lead the best that I can, and so as we work through this time, know that we are working. Know that the church is working. Many of our staff have what I call the giant red ear syndrome that their their phones have been in their ears and they've been talking and connecting, and we're working very hard. And, and another thing to think about is is yes, things are different, but they're not canceled. All of a sudden, like because we don't meet in one building doesn't mean that God's not operating in our community. It doesn't mean that you're not out there doing amazing things and showing off who our God is and our staff is working hard. And And so I just want to acknowledge the difference uh, for all of us as we wonder what's happening. You know, I, I go through different emotions just like anybody else if we're going to be real. Like, yep, we lost a lot of money in the stock market. Okay. Well, whose money was it again? Oh, that's right. God lost a lot of money in the stock market. God's economy is different. <clears throat> Who he is and how he wants to operate, we got to believe and trust. Trust in him. Trust in his word. Trust in his plans for us and the plans that he would have for us. So just so you know, we're still open as a church. Things are just different. Um, We still need everybody's support because we want to continue to support people in the community like we're doing. We want to be a light for the kingdom. We want to be a light for this community as we go through these challenges. So um, I just want to acknowledge that up front. Like, obviously, this is different. I feel like today I'm going to be note heavy. I can't look at you and, and get a reaction from you. My jokes will not be funny unless Gus figures out how to put a laugh track in this where he can just press a button and everybody goes, ha, 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 ha. And to be frank, I don't feel overly jokey. Um, so as we're moving on, this sermon this week is perfect. The notes are perfect. I hope I can deliver it well, and I know you'll give me grace for that, but, but it's perfect for where we're at. And so we're in part in week two of what was he thinking? What was Jesus thinking? And last week, Darby and Emmy did a great job about what was he thinking in reference to Genesis 15 and the restoration of all things and that he came knowing that he was going to restore. He was going to restore what was broken. And so as we enter this week, I want us to, to, to take a look at this as what was Jesus thinking when it comes to where we meet? How appropriate. And we're talking about 
from a tent, a tabernacle, a place of meeting, to a temple, to a veil that was torn, to a son who was crucified, to a spirit that was given to us. So when we talk about temple, this has been from the very beginning, build me a temple where heaven and earth will intersect. The temple was to be the heart and the soul of Judaism. It was where people were to go to meet with God. And I know sometimes right now we're like, well, where do we go to meet with God? Churches, churches is not open. It's different. It's open and it's different because where is church? What is the church? The temple, it was a place on earth where God's space and man's space met together. In ancient Israel, you could point to the temple. You could show over there and say, see, that's where God lives. Right there. You see, that's where he is. And it was a place uh, where, where we see it from the beginning in, 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 in God with his people, where he, God's always wanted to be with his people. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He led his people out with a cloud and a pillar uh, of fire out of the wilderness. And in Sinai, he rescued his people from Egypt. And he gave them instructions on how to build a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, so he could once again live in their midst. And when it was built, the people knew that God was there because Moses would come out and they would have this kind of glory. His face would be so, they'd have to cover his face is so bright, kind of like these lights. I don't think I'm Moses or that this is, but it feels bright to me. And you'd be like, oh yes, God was there. Look at his face. Then in the promised lands, the, the Israelites would build a, a temple so God could live amongst, amongst them. And once again, his presence was known by the glory that filled the temple. See, this was God's home on earth. This is a place of justice and of mercy. It was this space again where God and his people, God's space and heaven space would intersect with man. See, and the temple had some purposes, some really distinct purposes. The temple was there. It's where sins were forgiven. We talked about sacrifices at nine and three and, and think about that this is a place where sacrifice happened. It's a place where, where healing took place. It's a place where you went, you went to meet your creator God and worship. And in this temple now, there were priests and they were to be this intermediator between God and man because, because we needed this, this intermediate between God and man to connect with him. So the temple was so, so, so important. These priests, they were to shepherd the flock. They were to be the under shepherds. They were to recognize the needs of the sheep. We are to recognize the needs of God's people in our community. We are to recognize their needs during this time. Your church wants to know how can we be involved. We are the church. How can we help? The priests were to bring the sacrifices of the people before God. 
The priests were to lead them on the right paths. They were to, to rescue and restore when people were downcast. That's what we want to be. We want to be rescuers and restorers. It's going to be okay. See, the virus isn't going to win. It's going to be okay. We're to protect them from their enemies as well as from bad choices that they were to make. That's what the priests would do. The priests were to never to give up on a sheep. Never to give up on a sheep, no matter how difficult that sheep may be. Thank you, Jesus. So why? Because a shepherd is to be a picture of who God is. A shepherd is to be a picture of who God is. It is a picture of how God is leading a sheep. And so Jesus, what was he thinking when he came back? What, what's going on? And Jesus comes back and he's frustrated. And he's frustrated and he even recalls back to what the prophets had said. But he's saying, you bad shepherds. This temple is a place of injustice. It's supposed to be a place of justice. See, by the time the first century came around, the priesthood was so corrupt, it was, it was more about building their own kingdom. Are we about building our building? Like we have this, the, the building has to work or this doesn't work. No, you are the church. We're building his kingdom outside of these walls. And when we get the privilege to come back together and celebrate here, that's not going to change. The kingdom still gets built outside of these walls, not just in here. See, the temple was run more like a mafia. It was sold to the highest bidder. And the tithes that were brought into the temple were not shared with many of the priests throughout all of Israel. They starved to death. They were not shared outside of that. You know, the temple had also become the banking system of Israel. So when you went to the temple to, to get right with God, uh, they had to also talk to you about uh, why you were a little behind on that bill. They held the records of financial debts at the temple, and they're mixing these records of financial debts with spiritual debts. People go there to deal with their spiritual things, and they get confronted with their financial things. The priests in their costly outfits were, were turning their noses up at the poor that were coming into the temple in need. Temporal sacrifices were priced according to the whims of the priesthood in order to pad their own bank accounts. It's like when I went to Israel and I got a chance to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is an interesting building. They believe that's the site where uh, Jesus' tomb was and there's a rock there and people are like touching the rock and, and licking the rock. I don't know what they're doing with the rock. Not very CODA uh, officially uh, uh, dependent at this point in time, but this is the spot. And so you come to this Church of the Holy Sepulchre and you're kind of like, whoa, this is a big deal. And to the left, I think if I remember right, there was a poor box. And you look to the right and there's gold chandeliers and candle holders and you like look at the opulence of this building and here's the poor box. It, didn't make, it doesn't make sense that you would have all of this and you'd have the poor box. So God's a little frustrated. He is asking them, he's saying, you're no longer acting like the light of the world. 
And I challenge all of us, how are we acting like the light of the world right now? Are we in, in a panic? Or do we believe that God's got this? It's hard to starve in America. Like we're not probably talking about basic necessities of having a home or a house or having food or having water. My wife and I were on a walk today enjoying uh, the air outside and talking and just working through stuff of how we feel about it. And as we were walking, I was like, you know, I don't think the people, the couple hundred thousand million people in India that were digging through garbage dumps for food today, hoping to take some scraps home to feed their baby brother and sister. They're probably not worried about the code of virus. They're worried about basic things. And that's not to minimize this, but, but we're going to be okay. So God's like, hey, you're no longer acting like the light of the world. And another thing I want you to pause on this is, you know, these horrible priests, they were awful. Look at all they think. Yep, Israel, Judaism, yep, all those things. Corruption happens, right? Like, it's not like corruption has stopped happening. Like, corruption happens in, in churches today. You've probably been around or near a, a corrupt church, and I pray against that for our church. We want to stay humble. We want to stay generous. Do you know that two weeks ago, even though we were going through different financial challenges, and we are as a church, like people are going like this and getting scared and holding on tighter to what they do or don't have, and and we're feeling that as a church. We're impacted by that. But you know, like two weeks ago as a church, we doubled down on rehab. We talked about how, you know, yeah, we were struggling a little bit financially before this, And our elders voted to take uh, $25,000 out of a savings account and send eight more people to rehab because we're bold about it. That's God's money. He's got people that need help. There it goes. And we want to act on faith as a leadership here. And we want to act on faith as a church here. We don't want to become the church that goes like this and holds on to what things we have. and, And it's hard to put hard to put more in hands that are closed. Have you ever noticed that? We want to be a church that's generous. Generous especially, especially in times like this. Don't hold back. God's got it. So this leads us to the first piece of text in Ezekiel. And uh, this is one of the prophets. And so God's like, hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and taking care of our people. So let's read this together here. I'm Ezekiel 34, uh, 2 through 6. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Yes, we should. Yes, I should. You eat the curds. Clothe yourselves with wool. And slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened or uh, strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or even searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep 
wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered all over the earth and no one searched or looked for them. Prophet after prophet warned these religious elites, these shepherds of their evil. Isaiah 56.10 says, Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites that never have enough. Lord, don't make us like people who think we don't have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way and they seek their own gain. What did Jesus think he was doing as he approaches the cross? He said he's come back to seek and save the lost. He came back to to, to be the shepherd that they weren't. He came to judge what the temple had become, a symbol of oppression. The rich, the corrupt, an aristocracy and their systematic injustices. He came, uh, he forgave sins outside of the temple premises. That really ticked those guys off. You ever notice when you start messing with somebody's uh, money or livelihood or income, they get pretty worked up. And I've seen that in the last week. So he forgave their sins outside the, the temple premises and the religious elite were outraged. He healed the sick outside the temple premises, seeking and saving God's lost sheep. We can do work outside of the church. That's where the work's supposed to be done. We come in here and we celebrate. And we will celebrate. He intermingled with the unclean. You know, just a a second to stop and us as a church to pray for all of the medical workers and people that are on the front lines of this right now. Like there's people just sleeping on floors, just exhausting themselves uh, at their own sacrifice, not seeing their kids, not seeing their families on the front lines of this all over the world. May God have his hand upon their family. May God have his hand upon their touch and protect them and keep them. Pray that prayer. Time after time, Jesus clashed with the temple elite. We see it here in John uh, 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at the table exchanging money. Whoa, exchanging money? Yeah, You even got worked on the exchange rate when you got to the temple before you were getting ready to get worked on the sacrifice there. Taking advantage of God's people, taking advantage of people who are in need, making it hard, putting up barriers for people to meet their God. Jesus was angry, so he made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple courts, both the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the coins from the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. 
Stop turning my father's house into a market. Why are you putting up walls and barriers for people to reach God? Why are you making it so hard? Why are you taking from them? That's not who God is. That's, you are not representing him. Yeah, it's, that's bad fruit. Ooh, I went all Hebrew there for a second. Well, um, he, uh, his disciples remember that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, uh, what sign can we show, uh, can you show us to prove you have authority to do this? Jesus answered them, destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. And he was talking about his physical resurrection, right? Overturning the money, uh, the, the tables because people were, were taking advantage of people. No, no, no more barriers. No more barriers between God and us. I want to make this access different. Forgiving sins. Jesus acted as one of the ancient prophets, warning that their present course of how they were handling things in the temple was going to lead to disaster. How are we doing? How are we handling things in the temple that we have now? Jumping forward and a little farther into Ezekiel, uh, this is uh, another fulfillment of this as we see what, what Jesus was doing. And Jesus was God himself coming back to restore his sheep. Ezekiel 34 uh, says, uh, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and and strengthen the weak, Uh, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. What was Jesus thinking? What did he think he was doing? As he sees this, he's coming back and he's saying, hey, I'm the temple. I'm the temple now. What happens here? No, no, no. That was injustice. I'm the temple now. I'm the place where heaven and earth will meet. Matthew 11, and this is a great verse, right? This is something I'm holding on to this week. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Is anybody weary? Is anybody burdened? I feel, I feel burdened. I'm coming to Jesus. I needed him. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want to see God? You're looking at him. He's like, you want to see me? You're looking at him. So much so that when he's crucified and dies and that veil rips, how does the veil rip? The veil is torn 
from top to bottom, from the creator to us, opening the door, changing the access point. God came down clothed in flesh to find and restore his lost sheep, crushing. He is crushing. He's still to this day crushing separation from God and his people. He wants to keep that. He, He does not want separation. And so this, as we continue to think about this, well, what happened? What is this? He came and he separated this and now we have access. Where is the temple? It was in the tabernacle. Uh, It was this tabernacle, this tent of meeting and there was this plumes and fires and smokes and where's God now and where's God? And now here's this temple and then this temple is being abused and now there's the living temple. In Ephesians 19, it says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. What? Yep, all the apostles, all the prophets, Jesus Christ is our cornerstone and us, We get to be part of this. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the spirit. So where is God? Where is the church? We said it earlier this week, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. The church is you. The church is me. We're the shepherds. We're the ones seeking out. We're the ones accepting the sacrifice like we do. There is no virus that's going to separate you from the love of God. This is a tough time, but it's a time to hold tight to the faith that we have. He was determined there's no system. Jesus was determined there is no system. There is no thing. There is no one who would stand in the way of the redemption of his people. He was so determined that he died for it and rose. So what was Jesus thinking? He came to crush barriers between, that were being placed between us and God. What was Jesus thinking? He came to be the ultimate sacrifice. He came to bring, bring heaven crashing into earth, colliding these spaces together where we could be walking with our Father in heaven. We could be walking with confidence and faith and knowing that we're going to be taken care of. So we're going to take this time to go and have communion together. And I've got a legitimate cup of juice, not those little ones, because I didn't have to share with you guys right now, and a wafer. But as you take communion, you know, our our thought process on communion, as you take communion, uh, whether it's bread or unleavened bread and all those things, it is a memorial. We are remembering the sacrifice. Have you set your alarms at nine and three every day, like we talked about last week, to remember sacrifices that were happening, to remember the sacrifice, uh, 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 what happens in the temple, to remember what happened on the cross. And so as we come together uh, to take communion, 
um, on that night that Jesus was with his disciples, he, he held up the, the, the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is uh, for you. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread in the same way. Oh, I think I did that backwards, but it's okay. And he took the bread. He said, this is my body. This is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's remember him. Father, you're a good God. This is nothing surprising you. Thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for providing a place to meet you. Thank you for making it easy to meet you. And sometimes, Father, I take advantage of that easiness to meet you. I don't want to take advantage of the easiness to meet you because it was a giant sacrifice that happened for us to be able to meet you whenever we want to meet you. And I ask that we would all go to you many, 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 many times during this season. And we're walking and talking with you and as fear attacks us, we we use your word to combat fear. So I ask that you just have your hands on all of my brothers and sisters that I don't get to hug and hold this week. That you'd help us walk together. You'd help us connect in a mighty, mighty way. And say that in Jesus' name. Amen. You have questions that you'll be able to go over. Right now is a great time. You don't even have to get out of here to, to meet people or see people. You can sit right where you're at with your family and go over the questions that are in your notes uh, that you have about the message, kind of about, about where we are. So may the Lord's hand be upon all of you and bless you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.